You're killing me, Smalls. Hello, everyone. It's Olympic gold medalist Summer Sanders. Now, as a champion, I rarely settle for anything but the best. So, you guys, get the best podcast for sports in the Philadelphia area. Killing me Smalls with Mike Small. Dude knows his sports, and it's going to be the absolute best. Enjoy. Ah, the mellow opening today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Killing Me Smalls podcast. I am your host, Mike Small. You can follow me on Twitter at Killing Me Smalls 2. That's Killing Without the G, Me Smalls with a Z, and the number two, and I will follow you right back. Give us a rating and a review as you listen to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can now also listen to this podcast on YouTube as we are part of the Painted Lines Podcast Network. Well, today's podcast is one that I've been excited about for a long time. As we approach Super Bowl Sunday, let's think back to 2017 when a guy named Nick Foles, yes, Nick Foles, found a way to lead the Philadelphia Eagles to the most improbable Super Bowl of all time. How did that happen? Was it magic? Was it luck? Or was it planning and preparation? And most importantly, having the right mindset. Well, today we talked to one of the premier sports psychologists in the nation, Dr. Kevin Elko. Dr. Elko worked with Foles. He also worked with Doug Peterson and the entire Eagle squad. Dr. Elko actually shared that he saved a text from Malcolm Jenkins that he got the morning of the Super Bowl saying, today we shock the world, but we don't shock ourselves. Dr. Elko is most associated with the University of Alabama, where he's been working with Nick Saban since he was a coach at LSU. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Lots of anecdotes, lots of stories, and some really, really good knowledge. Enjoy it. Dr. Elko, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing good. Just uh, was in St. Augustine, Florida earlier. I'm in Houston right now, so I'm doing really good, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us. So, you know, it's Super Bowl week, and uh, around here in the Philadelphia area, we've still got Eagles fever. And it was just two years ago that the most unremarkable or most remarkable thing that you can come up with happened in which the backup quarterback, a guy that's been a journeyman throughout his entire career, turned into Superman and won a Super Bowl for the Philadelphia Eagles, a team that had never won a Super Bowl before. That's Nick Foles. You worked with him. Can you talk a little bit about how, how your affiliation with him began and we can dig into it a little bit? I was working with the Eagles and um, what happened was I started talking to the team like because what um, when they when they lost Carson Wentz, Vegas came out and gave him, if people remember, the longest odds of any team to win. Right. And everybody was saying that they uh, weren't going to make it. And I was doing research and reading by a psychologist, Virginia, Meg Jay. And she had a book out at the time called Super Normal. And she came up with a concept that I never really even thought about before. And she said, people that are achievers in life, they're normal, but they're super normal. And she came up with a phrase, positive anger. Never even, I never thought those phrases went together. A 
positive anger. And she goes, for example, like when Linda Johnson went, when Martin Luther King went to Linda Johnson, he said, you know, everyone in the country is going to vote right now. His positive anger changed the world. You know, Rosa Parks says, I'm not giving up this chair. It changed the world. So I talked the team right at that time about positive anger. They said, we can't do it. And then we talked about being a dog underneath the table, an underdog. And that's, you know, that's when some guys like Lane Johnson got that mask. Well, I'm speaking to the team, and um, Nick came up to me, Nick Foles, because he's the quarterback. And he goes, I want to work with you. And so the, what, I, what we did was... And this was uh, after Carson got hurt, right? This was after Carson got hurt. Right. And you, you have to meet people where they are. And he's a very, very uh, spiritual, but also a religious person. So there was a story where David became the king of Israel, and I gave him this story. And I teach something called self-talk. Like, I teach how to communicate with yourself. It's one of the most important things. That's kind of what my doctor did. And there was a story where David became the king of Israel, and someone said, David, I've got your director of security. Who? Guy's name is Benaiah. What did Benaiah do to become my director of security now that I'm in Israel? He said he came face to face with a lion, and he ran right at the lion. The lion turned and fell, and fell into a pit. He jumped in the pit and killed him with bare hands. So I have Nick saying, run the world, be bold. I think the first game was with the Oakland Raiders. And he, he did not have a great game. He texted no. me after the game, still running at the war, still running at the lion. Then I think the next game was the Cowboys. A little bit better, but still not that good. Not great, yeah. Now he's telling me the same thing. Running at the war, be bold. We need boldness. So now we go and play the Falcons. He's a little bit better, but he keeps saying his phrase that's starting to catch. Now, Frank Reich is saying it. Our offensive coordinator. Now Doug Peterson saying it. You know, the Philly special. Now everybody's bold. Now Zach Earth is, is doing hashtag, be bold, run at the line. And like, it caught. And so now we go to the Minnesota game. He's getting juicy. By the time it got to the Super Bowl, it caught. And he was like, run to war, be bold. And everybody got there. And so he did over and over and over. I have this phrase I use all the time. Your conscious mind is a post-it note. Your subconscious mind is a supercomputer. It caught. And it caught everywhere. And the team started playing bold. And so it was a really cool thing to see. I love it. You know, I, I was telling Doug the last time I was in there, head coach, I said, the only problem I had with, with Nick is I said, I would meet with him. We'd be there hour, hour, 40 minutes. I couldn't get all the work done, you know, because this is how he was. I, I love him. I, 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 of course, I love Carson. Of course, he's the face of franchise. But I somehow hope Nick comes back here. He's Philadelphia. I mean, he just, his boldness, his spirit, the way he loved the city, they loved him back. And honestly, I mean, I shouldn't, I'm not a football analyst, but his best performances are here. He doesn't do extremely well outside of Philadelphia. I think he's a net for Philly myself. That's you know, it, it's interesting that uh, I was at that Atlanta game, the first game of the playoffs, and I texted a friend of mine at halftime, and I said, I remember, I said, man, the Eagles are, are lucky to even be in this game. This is the worst quarterback performance I've ever seen. I said, this is embarrassing. And the next thing you know, he wins the game, and you're right. He just got better. And by the time he got to the Super Bowl – he looked like a Hall of Famer. I think what people need to understand with him, and he's just a good match from Doug, is do simple better. 
And, you know, uh, Carson Wentz is the kind of guy that the more you give him, the better. But uh, Are you working with Carson? Yeah, I do, but not as direct as I did Nick. Okay. You know, we're going to start working coming up on connection. Everybody, coaches, players, everybody, we've got him involved. I, I love him. And I, I, I was in, to be honest with you, I shouldn't say this because who knows exactly where it's headed, and I can talk about it in a minute, but I was involved with bringing Clarkson here. And so... Oh, that story we need to hear. Yeah, I'll tell you about that one right after this one. Okay. But um, I, Nick is the kind of guy like do simple better. You know, and they did a simple, he connected well with Doug. He, and I just think he's messed with Philadelphia. They understand him here. He's a good fit for the city. He, his simplicity of mind is really good. I don't like him. I love him. No, it, it's. A, I do want to hear the Carson story, but I will tell you that I did speak to uh, another coach in the NFL who shared with me when he was in St. Louis, he lost his his love of football. He wasn't even the same. He, it, he was shocked that he even came back. And you're right. Maybe he is meant for Philadelphia. I was talking to a scout from Steelers, and he said, you know, he did pretty good at one time under Chip Kelly's offense because it was all hurry up and he didn't have time to think. And I mentioned to Doug, and Doug said, yeah, he was going to do that. And I think they constructed an offense that kept it real simple, and he didn't have to didn't have to do a lot of thinking. But I, I I love the guy. I love everything about him. I love what he stands for as a human being. Uh, he connects with all the players there. Like I said, he's Philadelphia. He just goes out and sits down and connects with people. I really am fond of him. So how did you get involved in the recruitment of Carson Wentz? It's a pretty fabled story around here that the entire Eagles brass went down to work him out, and they fell in love with him as a person. And, you know, then, then I know that we had, uh, we had Mike Sando, who's a writer for the athletic onto this podcast, who used to work with John Gruden and Gruden fell in love with Carson Wentz. So it, it was pretty, you know, it was pretty evident that he caught some folks, some, some people's eyes. Uh, what was your role in that? What up NFL combines and when you go to the NFL combines, that you have about 15 minutes to make a call on a guy. And so I just sat in the room, wow, and I knew they were going for quarterbacks, and they brought in all of them. All the guys probably went the first two or three rounds. And then they came back to spend an hour with me. And I had in the room a guy that's an interesting guy there. He's actually their director of security, Dom. And I said, Dom, I'm going to bring back these guys, and I want I, I, just me and you, no coaches, we're going to sit and talk with them. And I go, you're a street guy, you're a Philadelphia guy, I want you to sit with me. He's the director of security there, okay. So I kept asking Carson questions, and he, he, it's one thing he did, and then I went to Jeffrey Lurie and Howard Rose, and I go, and Dagger, that's your guy. I said, tell me the best game you ever had in your life. And to every question I said, he opened up with one word. You know what it was? I'm going to guess we. We. Yeah. We cared. We came together. We prayed. kept on saying the word we. And everyone else was saying, I, 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 I. They were saying, we. So I walked out and said to Jeffrey, I go, Jeffrey, you guys, that's your guy. So I think they flew out the steam and they asked him, I think they asked him, you know, what was your record? I think like it was something crazy. Like, I'm not sure of this. I don't think he ever lost a football game until we played for the Eagles. Ever. Wow. I think he made one B in his life like in eighth grade. 
And so I think that's, I think that could be in ways your challenge if you're somebody like that. Because now you want to be almost like the hero, like you want to do it all. You're used to that. But I really like the way he kept on saying we. And I thought he flourished this year when there were players that were a little bit younger and he was able to do we. I, I like Carson. I think that we have a lot of special ahead of us. He plays so hard. And when he does stuff, he's trying to let other people down. And I, I, I understand that people love what's going on in Kansas City now, and they love these different quarterbacks. I'll take Carson Wentz any time, any day. I love him. I love him. I, you know, I want Nick to come back because I like that two-headed monster, so to speak. But I'm telling you, Carson is, I think, going to deliver big things to the city. I think he's the face of the team. I think he, he goes real well with what Jeffrey's trying to do with culture there. And um, he kept on saying the word we, and I just loved it. I love what he does. I love how he connects with our guys. I love the relationship he has with guys like Earth, with our offensive line. I think he's a special guy. You know, it wouldn't surprise me if Foles was cut loose. And, uh, you know, he signed that big contract down in Jacksonville, and Minshew took over, and it looks like they're probably going to draft somebody as well. So you never know. Nick Foles, um, like I said, I think he needs people around him that knows who he is and vice versa. And Doug Peterson is the kind of guy, everybody knows who Doug is now. Doug's the kind of guy who would take time to connect and know who what you are. He understood what he was. He didn't all the time say, you know, Nick, you got to come to us. Nick, look at what you need. And that's the kind of guy Doug is. It works here. So you know, you know Doug, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You know Doug in a way that, most people don't in, in, in terms of the fact that you know, he's kind of an enigma when you think about it. I mean, when he got hired, people came out and said, of all the guys that got hired, this guy is the least qualified. Then he goes and wins a Super Bowl two years later. What is it about Doug that, that you know that people who follow the Eagles or watch on television or listen to sports radio would never be able to get? You know, there was that article written by Doug, and um, there was an article written by Doug, and it wasn't complimentary that, you know, he's never done it before, you know. And I looked at the article, and I go, Doug, I kind of agree with you. Article. I think this is a good thing. I go, the NFL just recycle. Just recycle guys. Here it is. Keep recycling guys. I go, you can do it any way you want. Do what you need. And do it any single way. And I think it's really... Like, I think it's connection. I think he has a good relationship with Howie. They connect real well. I think he connects with our players. I think he connects with our coaches. I love this, I love this phrase, um, a supportive autonomy. I don't think he, I think we did an NFL. You could be Nick Saban at, at Alabama in college, but there you got to be supportive, you know, in that way. But I think he does the best. Great teams have their own language. Like in Alabama, you know, it's, it's, uh, see a little, see a lot, see a lot, see nothing. They're their own language. Doug is one of the best you've ever seen at developing a culture and a language there. And, for, you know, it was like ownership. And he put the team into, into small, um, units and they took ownership and he pushes ownership on the team and he teaches ownership. And what people don't understand about Doug, he doesn't come into a different raw raw talk every week. He's constantly teaching language and teaching culture and just great at it. And if you watch him in the locker room, 
really good. It does a really good job of, of supporting our guys, not, not making them feel uncomfortable. Cause he's really happy. So he's real even and consistency. I learned from when I was with the Steelers, there's nothing like consistency. I see with Chuck Noll, just the same guy. And in the NFL, I saw Mike McCartney when I was in Green Bay, the same guy. And I just like how Doug's a real steady, consistent guy. And it's because the league's up and down and this and that and all kinds of stuff breaking loose. But he's even and the same guy coming in there. And it's so important, you know, consistency. Commitment starts stuff, but consistency finishes. So it's the speaking of language. It's how it pulls it together. People, there's special people there. And he, how he works with the different people there is, is excellent. You know, I think him and Howie do a really nice job of being a team, working together. But it's the consistency and the of culture and the language that he does there that separates him. So as we're talking about mindset, you need a new car, you better get in the right mindset to get a good car person. You can get ripped off out there. And if you don't have somebody that you trust, it can be a major problem. I've got somebody I trust, and I hope you all will too. Several people have benefited by listening to the Killing Me Smalls podcast and have bought cars from Kobe Fryer and Matt Blatt Kia. I've known Kobe for 35 years. In fact, little known fact, I drove him to his first ever job interview to be a car salesman. And look at him now. He runs Matt Blatt Kia, and they've got three locations in Tom's River, Egg Harbor, and Glassboro. Check out the new Telluride, which was the Motor Trend SUV of the year. They've got over 250 pre-owned cars and trucks. Any situation can be handled with ease. Give Kobe a call, 609-706-2101, or get in touch with me through this podcast, and I will connect you. This is Ian Rappaport from NFL Network. You're killing me, Smalls. Stay tuned for more from Mike Small. Into college football a little bit. You've uh, you worked with Florida State, Miami, LSU, but the, the big school that you've spent the most time with that have been the most connected with is the University of Alabama. And that has been a dynasty over the last several years. What would people, and Nick Saban, I do know for a fact, uh, wrote the foreword of your new book, which I got a chance to look at, and your new book we'll talk about in a little bit. What would people be most surprised about if about Nick Saban? What's one thing that people would be shocked to know? <laughs> that he's not Tornadoes hit, hit, hit Tuscaloosa. 
and 50 people were killed. And I think 50 people lost their home. He goes, this place was here for you. Now what would it be there for them? He has charity knit kids where he gives millions and millions of dollars away. But I think they think he's like Ebenezer or the Grinch and he's not. That's what they'd be surprised. Now, when you watch them perform and you're watching them on the field, if somebody goes below a standard, he's a different kind of miserable. But I think that sometimes we need that. There was a great baseball player, a shortstop, but not a great hitter named Mario Mendoza. And Bill Mazeroski said he's a, who was a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best shortstops ever, but he wasn't a good hitter. And George Brett used to look at the paper and anybody who was below him would say, that's the Mendoza line. Right. In life, in life, we look with our health, we need a Mendoza line as opposed to gaining a, a pound a year, two pounds a year. In 20 years, you're 40 pounds overweight. There was a, a psychologist in Florida Atlantic said the average marriage deteriorates the satisfaction like a couple percent a year. We're married 25 years. You kind of don't know their name, but that could be dementia. We, in our lives, we need a Mendoza <laughs> line. We don't go below this in that statement. And he draws a standard and he stays with it. You know what's and interesting to me about him? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And that's what I like about him. No, what they would be surprised is he, when I see him, we laugh, he smiles, he, he's a good friend. He's not. You know, I had the, I was very fortunate for a four year period. I got to work with Dean Smith doing his television show. And I see some similarities in the sense that one of the things that he did that, that I observed and, and he actually said it at one point was he never let the team get too high or too low. So for instance, when they were getting crushed, um, he was in a good mood. He was happy, you know, Hey, that's fine. We'll get over this one. When they're up by 30 or 40, that's when he started screaming about, you know, not taking a charge and things of that sort. I see a little bit of that in Saban. Is that is that a fair comparison? Yeah, I mean, he, okay, there's a guy that Bill does his name Adam Grant. It's a fair comparison. But here's another thing that people have to understand. Adam Grant is, in, in all the good business schools, there's a, a performance psychologist, and Adam Grant is a pen. And he came up with something. He said, there's two kinds of people out there. One is called the strategic optimist. They see good in the future. And they do well. They see good and they manifest good. There's something called the defensive pessimist. They see bad in the future and they do all the things so those things don't happen. And Adam Grant says, my research says, that group is even more successful. And so, you know, Nick Saban is a defensive pessimist. Doug Peterson, strategic optimist. So my my job with Nick, a lot of it is I work with him constantly, coach him on the phone. We get on the phone. And, you know, it works. My undergrad degree is, one of my undergrad degrees, I went to biology goes in coaching. So I get to coach the coaches. And when I get on the phone with him, he does lay out what could happen wrong. And then what he does is he does all the things so that doesn't happen. In my life, personally, I'm pretty much a strategic optimist in most areas. But when it comes to a couple areas, like my health, I go, yeah, Kevin, let's watch what we take into our diet. Let's watch our exercise. Because I don't want, I have young kids. I want to be here for them. So I guess I'll be involved to be a little bit of both. But Nick very much is a 
defensive pessimist. And if you look at the research on those guys, they can be pretty good performers. And that's who and what he is. And I don't try to do it any different with him. I don't change it. That's the routine we do. And he and what he does to the team is this right here. He goes, we'll play the game. And we'll play for 60 minutes. Is that one minute when you come in the locker room and you've got to look at your guys in the, in the locker room. And after that game, are you going to feel like going over and celebrating with them and hugging them? You will look at them and be sick in your stomach because you left something out on the field. Well, you know, that's a perfect segue uh, to my next question, because uh, I really want to I really want to get into your new book. But I do have one more Alabama question and this. And that's a perfect segue to it, which is this is the first adversity Saban has seen in a long time. The team did make the playoffs. They lost to LSU, the eventual national champion. They lost to Auburn. Tua uh, had the unfortunate injury. And, you know, now if you look at the preseason rankings next year, Clemson and, and LSU are the darling of the media. Does that fuel Saban going into this year? What, what, what does that do in terms of his preparation to set up 2020? It works nonstop. And we were talking about something. There's a lot of writing now going on about something called the infinite company, the infinite team, and the finite team. And, you know, you look at certain organizations, and we talk about this some in Philadelphia now. You look at some companies, and they have a cause, they have a process, they have a long-term vision. I think like the Patriots. I think they do. I think the Steelers do. And I was talking to Nick before the Citrus Bowl, and, you know, he was going, why, you know, this team didn't go quite where we wanted. I go, Nick, there's a couple college programs, you, Clemson, and it's an infinite program. Those guys will come on the scene, win it one year, then they go away. There's Steve Mike, some some come on the scene and have a great year, and then you'll hear them again. I go, your job is to win a national championship. Your job is to have a vision and have a process and to stay on it, and then they come. And there might be a year where something happens, like the two, and you're not going to get in, but you're more kind of being infinite. We keep going. Finite means has a start and a finish, a finite game. The infinite game goes on and on and on. And so I don't think he'll work any harder because he works nonstop now. I think what he has to stay on is this is our process, this is our culture, this is how we do it, and then let the results manifest. And I talked to Doug Pierce a lot about that, and I talked to Jeffrey about it. Like, let's become a program in Philadelphia that just keeps manifesting. And that's why he got into that kind of, you know, this is just the start. We have, we're not back there yet. That's what we're trying to do there. And so I don't think it changed his work effort ethic at all, because I don't think he can. I mean, he works nonstop, and his coaches do. I think that he just has to get to a point where he just keeps on. You know, you got to be a friend to yourself in, in this business. It's, it's a tough business for this guy. And you have to, you know, be honest to yourself sometime, and you got to be realistic. I mean, I hope you win national championship every year, but the other schools are coming too. You just got to stay on your process, your infinite game, your cause, your process, your vision, and let that stuff take care of itself. Trust the process is a big thing here in Philadelphia as well. And, uh, and yeah, now that's, I, I could honestly listen to you tell stories about some of the work you've done with these guys for, for days. I'm very fortunate that I work with an organization that is using you uh, to help drive mindset within the organization. Really what we've got to do, it, it, let me tell you what happened, what I did with is I really want to write a book about the whole concept of, you know, when, when someone says the word faith, we go down the word of religiosity. 
and I'm a very spiritual guy, but that's not what I'm talking about here. This book is called Believing is Seeing, and it really is getting to the whole standpoint of, of coming in and having high expectations and having faith in what we're doing, and not just having faith in what we're doing, but let our actions demonstrate that we have faith. And I just think that, you know, you, you turn on TV all the time now, and, and everything's so cynical. Everything's gotten to a point where I think we've gotten to a point where we've lost our faith in one another. And even like when I talk to you guys and what you're doing with your company, what are one of things you're doing? You're, you're giving people peace of mind. Have faith in what you're doing. And I notice that as I keep on having faith in my children, I just keep watching them flourish. So Believing is Seeing is a book as written about, like Nick Paul said, we win a Super Bowl. He kept on saying, even though how I'm playing, faith is the key. And faith is, here's a story that I tell people, say in the book. I've got a neighbor of mine, and I don't know if you've heard this country western song. My wife left town for my best friend, and I miss him. Yeah. <laughs> That's what kind of happened to him. His wife leaves him. He's in Columbus, Ohio. Lee Ford, my neighbor. He moves to Pittsburgh, gets married, has a Down syndrome child, light of his wife, Emily. He's walking Mike across the street up in Pittsburgh, up in Mount Washington. A woman hits him, and she's going 48 miles an hour. They give him a day to live. They said, no, he probably won't make the week. No, he's going to live. He's going to be blind and quadriplegic. No, he's going to be fine. I go leave. I go see him after. And it was a recovery. I go, how did you do that? He goes, I believe in spite of the evidence, I watched the evidence change. Now, the law, there's different laws out there. The law of aerodynamics, the law of gravity, what goes up, must come down. Law of gravity. Then there's law of aerodynamics that breaks the law of gravity. That you can go up a stair with aerodynamics. Down in Tallahassee, Florida, I read it down in Tallahassee, Florida. And I've read about this happen over a dozen times. A car falls on a little girl in Tallahassee. There was a 77-year-old grandmother, Mike, in the yard. She picked up the car. Now, I don't know if you've heard of those. She picked up the car, pulled the daughter out. Now, I know her best press a hoagie. But here this woman is, she picks up the car. The law of faith breaks down all other laws. Like Doug Pearson used to say constantly when it's the Super Bowl. An individual can make a difference. A team can make a miracle. When we can come together, and the problem we have today is we're split on everything. We're split on everything. But if we can come together with faith, and the book is really a lot of examples like that, where people have had faith in their past. I was spoken about Boston, Georgia yesterday, and the sheriff was in my was in there. And I get these stories all the time. And my last book out was called The Sender. And it, we had a wonderful night. People people flew in, a couple people flew in their private jet to, to, for us to be together. I didn't even know them. It was really off of my book, The Sender which is a novel about a friend of mine, Chuck Pagano, but it, it really happened just that way where he had cancer. He called me. I sent these messages every day. He's a cancer ward. He's not a defense coordinator of the Colts. He was head coach. I'm a defense coordinator at the Bears. He was with the Colts. And so these people came in and we talked about the sender, but there was the sheriff there. And he goes, look, 
He goes, I'm in bed with my wife and I get a text from this woman. I haven't seen, talked to, heard for 15 years. And she needs help. Something happened on Facebook. And she needs help. He said, I looked it up on Facebook. It sounds crazy, but it did happen. I haven't seen her for 15 years. I live in this little town, you know, 130,000. He goes, a little restaurant, little restaurant, there's eight chairs there. He goes, I'm just going and I'm like thinking, um, I'm just going thinking, now, how do I help her? I'm walking down the street. And I said, I, I probably got to find a way to sit down and talk to me. So I walk in that restaurant. She's sitting there. You know, she's, I haven't seen her for 15 years. That's kind of what this book's about. Malcolm Jacobs sends me this, this text. He goes, there's a morning of the Super Bowl. He goes, later today, we will shock the world. But make no bones about it. We won't shock us. Did he really? You know, before they... Wow! I got the text still. He goes, "Today we will shock the world, but but make no bones about it, we won't shock us." Wow! So what's the point? Did the Eagles do well and then get faith, or did they have faith that made no sense that no one else really believed in, other than the city of Philadelphia, and then the victory came? You know, you have so many learnings uh, that that you've that you've shared with us. That I've had a chance, you know, so what, now what, and so many different sayings that that really just really just change the way you. I, my favorite is, you know, you want mindset, set your mind, stick with it. I love that. How can people get your book, and how can people follow you? Go to dr.elka.com, and um, and and first of all, thanks for what you're doing here. Thanks for being a blessing. You're a talent. This is really, it's really amazing what you're doing. This is really, I really, one of the things they can do to get me is just keep on listening to this interview. Really nice job. I oh, thank I've really enjoyed it. No, you're, 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 this is excellent. Go to DrElko.com and we have something they get for free called the Monday Cup of Inspiration. We send it every Monday to 100,000 people. It's you amazing. Yeah, I love we it. Have, you go to Amazon, get our books. You can go to DrElko.com and get our books. They're on there as well. Um, you can go, we have CDs and download programs. We have one right now that's extremely popular called How to Have Your Best Year Ever. But a company just ordered 200 of those because the one guy I listened to had a restaurant chain and said, this changed up my life. So get the best year ever. That's one that they, that they can get. The Sender is a book that is a novel that really what happened there is Chuck Pagano called me about 2 o'clock in the morning. What I feel best about is when people call me like Andy did and say, I'm hurting. Can you come spend time with me? Like, let's be there for each other. Be necessary to somebody. So, Pagano calls me too, called me and said, Elks, I got leukemia. I said, what? And, hey, I want to tell you a big goal. Him and I are Miami together, the University of Miami. Our goal is get no player arrested. We're shooting for the stars. So, Pagano calls me and goes, Elks, I got leukemia. He's the head coach of the Colts. I said, well, what you do? You realize, when did you get it today? He said, we just lost to Jacker, but my outside linebacker stood up. Matha said, there's no self-pity in football. Take the left of the move on. He asked us, there's no self-pity in cancer. Start my IV. So when he sent me that to talk to me, he said, I'll be in here, and I'm not leaving here for a couple months. And what I decided to do is send him recording every day to try to get him his spirit up, to get his faith up to fight the cancer. And that became, those, those messages I sent him became my book, The Sender. And if anybody's out there hurting, if anybody's fighting through something like cancer, I think I've just sent you the book. You probably didn't get it yet. Um, if anybody's hurting, 
I've gotten more people. I like the talk I did last night with just a bunch of people that read the center to want to come and talk about that book. Um, that that book is one that I get a lot of feedback on. That you know, I was in a bad spot. One woman just said out this was there last night. She goes, I was at MD Anderson. I was I was taking chemo. I was down on the ground, thrown up, and the worst day ever. <clears throat> and someone visited me afterwards, and I read that book, and I just started instantly feel different. And so that book is really about messages I sent to somebody who was fighting through cancer. And the book um, Believing a Thing will be out about late March, and they'll be able to get that on Books a Million. That will be, you can tell them, country, you're going to have a first release in Walmart, Sam's Club, and... Um, <laughs> it, comes with a si- it comes with a side of hash browns and grits, but uh, yeah. no, I'll tell you what, I'll make sure that... Uh, <laughs> I guess I'm Dr. Phil Billy, because that's where they're going to release it. <laughs> I will make sure that our listeners know that when it comes out, for sure. Dr. Elko, I can't thank you enough for joining the Killing Me Smalls podcast. I've loved getting to know you, and uh, I think people are really going to benefit from reading your books, and I hope they've enjoyed the podcast as much of as much as I've enjoyed doing it. You're a gift. What you did and how you did this is, is, is excellent. It's great. I love Philadelphia. I love being a part of the Eagles. So thanks for doing this. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Kevin Elko as much as I enjoyed speaking with him. Remember, his new book comes out at the end of March. It'll be his seventh book and definitely one worth reading and picking up. But I enjoyed doing this podcast with you once again today. If you enjoyed this and podcasts like this, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. That's Killin, K-I-L-L-I-N, me, Smalls with a Z, and we will make sure that you get some good content and give me a follow on Twitter. Thanks, everybody, and have a great rest of the week.